Okay, you guys can stay standing. Well done. Um, my name's Kimberly Brandt. Uh, before I read the scripture, I'm going to do a quick plug for our community group, because those are starting. So we'll be hosting one Thursday evenings um, in North Portland. We'd love to see your families and your kids, if you want to bring them as well. Would be amazing. So yes, sign up. <laughs> okay, so reading from the scripture, this is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, uh, I said earlier, my name's Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we are in, this is week three of a four-week little series, uh, a vision series, which we know, we know it's hokey. Churches do this every fall, but it, we do it because it's strategic. There's a time when people are back from, from the chaos of summer travel and there's just a chance to kind of get the most people we can in the room together to kind of set something before us, um, a direction, a destination that we just hope by God's grace we will be able to find ourselves over the course of this ministry year. And so that's what we're doing. And um, we, we've continued to mention, I'll recap it again. The, the idea here that has been birthed out of my own personal sense, the elders and the elders' families' personal sense, and then just the sense of so many of the people that are just invested in lay leadership here around this church um, is that there's just a hunger and a desire and a sense that we are possibly just on the cusp of something just far deeper, far deeper than uh, we've encountered over the last several years of our church's life. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're up to, is, is, is how the question of how to pursue that depth, specifically through the lens of the four pillars of Door of Hope, which are kind of our central guiding kind of vision commitments, the cross, community, simplicity, and the city. Um, and so if you're new to Door of Hope, uh, and Door of Hope Northeast in particular, it's a wonderful way to get, uh, get informed about what we're about, what are the things that are sort of the unshakable center for us that we're trying to pursue this year and every other year. Um, so today we talk about simplicity, the third pillar, and uh, ironically, it is always the hardest to define of our four pillars. Cross, sure, community, sure, even the city, absolutely, and we'll, we'll get into the city next week, the one we haven't talked about yet, but simplicity, what do you mean by that? What, what, is, what is that? And I remember Josh White uh, one, one time, lead pastor at Door of Hope Southeast, Describing simplicity by emphasizing its opposites, and it, it was helpful for me, and I, I, I went back and found this message to, to remember what he said. He said, simplicity is the antithesis of complexity. It's clarity. It's the antithesis of complication. It's understanding. It's the antithesis of embellishment. It's honesty. 
and it's the antithesis of difficulty, it's ease. It's a great way to think about it. I think recently an image that's come to mind for me that's sort of freshly captured the essence of the simplicity pillar has come from kind of the fine art world. And I know there's lots of you in this room who know far more about these things than me, so forgive me if I just like butcher this concept. It's, it's very likely that I will. Um, but the idea of the white cube, which is a philosophy of sort of space for displaying art that had sort of become, certainly by the 1970s, become dominant in the art world. Um, and it, the name was sort of coined in a series of essays in 1976 by, by the artist Brian O'Doherty. So what is it? In short, if you've, if you've been to an art museum, it's probably the format in which you've experienced, like paintings on the wall. Um, it's an aesthetic marked usually by a square or rectangular room just with simple, plain white walls, overhead light source, and the idea is to make everything as simple as possible to turn the space itself into just a gigantic frame. Like, that's the idea. If you've wondered, like, why are the, whites, why are the walls always white or whatever? The idea is to eliminate everything that might detract from the central thing, the works of art themselves. The question that some people who are kind of conceptualized this, conceptualizing this were asking was, could the visitor who comes into, say, our gallery or whatever it may be, or our museum even, could the visitor forget about their relationship to the outside world? Could they forget about their relationship to time itself? Could they forget about their relationship to other people and to the self-consciousness that comes with that for the sake of a deeper and clearer encounter with the works of art that we are trying to magnify here on the wall? That was the idea. And the white cube isn't gospel. In fact, you know, as I understand it, it's already sort of falling out of favor in some of the art world. Um, it'll, it'll take a long time for that process to be complete, but, and again, many of you know far more about this than I do. Um, and it's not the idea that we're trying to replicate everything down to the detail about that, um, but just, just in principle, the idea, I think, the idea of clearing as much debris as possible to let ourselves focus on what is most important and be moved and changed by the thing, not by the accoutrements, not by the sauce, not, you know, not by all the additional stuff, but by the thing itself. And what is the thing here? What is the thing here at Door of Hope Northeast? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, that's absolutely right. In this case, it is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, it is the gospel of Jesus' saving life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. It's the great commandment, maybe, to love God and to love people, and the great commission to see the nations come to faith, including right here in Portland, Oregon, which is the opposite side of the world, certainly, from where the gospel was first proclaimed in Jerusalem, and to see the nations come to faith and then deepen their faith into obedience and transformation. It's the central center things of the scriptures and of historic Christianity that have been held over the ages. So to talk about simplicity is to talk about trying to get at a deep focus, a simple, an intentionally simple presentation, a pretensionless presentation, and even strategically limited programming, all on purpose, not to overwhelm, but to highlight what's most important, God himself, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst. That's what simplicity is about. Simplicity is our philosophy in many ways here at Dorf Hope Northeast. 
And over, over my time at Door of Hope, the biblical passage that's kind of most come to inform and ground the idea of simplicity for me is the passage that uh, Kim just read for us, which comes from Matthew 6, which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know the Sermon on the Mount, it's just his central, almost greatest hits kind of collection of teachings that most everyone agrees most clearly lays out the principles for living a life in step with the principles of his kingdom. What does it mean to live in step with Jesus? What is it to be a foretaste of that day that is coming when his kingdom comes in full? How do we be that kingdom preview people now? The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most foundational places we look for that. And so in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, here in chapter 6, um, Jesus is giving this teaching. It's a short teaching, and it's mainly about the disciples' relationship to worry, which is just a perennially helpful, useful, certainly in our just oversaturated, crazy, distracted age, it is a needed teaching. Um, and so it's, 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 it's perennial for us. Um, and it's really just, if, if Jesus is going to talk about anxiety and worry, what he's really ultimately talking about is your relationship to, to trust in God himself. And so just despite the myriad sort of of genuine physical needs that people have. That's the context of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus suggests that the answer is not stress. Whatever the answer is to all the many very legitimate needs that we all have, the answer is not stress and worry over how those needs will be met. For that is just plainly counterproductive. But it's instead to do what he commands in verse 33, which is, what's the answer to this? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. That's the heart of simplicity. Here we find the connection to simplicity in the call to single-minded devotion, to living in light of our deepest priorities, to put the first things first, the things of God first, and to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's not that other needs are unimportant. Jesus clearly says right here. He's not saying like, you don't need food, you don't need clothing, you don't need water. You do, you clearly do. He's simply saying anxiety for those things for their own sake will not meet those needs. The thing that will meet those needs is trust in God, seeking first his kingdom, his rule, his agenda. So in a small church, just call a spade a spade. We're a small church. Last week we tried to make the case that that is a massive opportunity for us. For however long we're small, which may be forever, or maybe only for another year, we don't know. But for however long we are a small church, there are opportunities there. But there are also challenges. In a small church with a very small staff, which currently is myself and Justin, who's part-time, who works downstairs with the kids' ministry. That's the staff team that makes up this church. And for all the amazing, frankly, amazing percentage of just lay people who serve in all kinds of crucial leadership positions in this church that basically carry the bulk of the ministry that happens here, for as many amazing people there are percentage-wise, in terms of raw numbers, it's still a relatively small number of leaders. In a setting like that, in a setting like ours specifically, it's easy to become overwhelmed with all the things that we could do or we might do that much larger churches can do and that they do offer. Honestly, for me, this has been a deep source of anxiety at times, and I've seen people that are just such crucial backbone pillar people of this community leave the church because they're like, I just need to go somewhere where they have program A, B, and C, and I know the contours of their life, I know what they need, and I go, yeah, I think you might need that. I think you might be right. And it's painful. It's painful. So this passage, though, Matthew 6, 
reminds us to focus on what we must do, what we must do, and then patiently trust that whatever else we need will be supplied here. And no amount of anxiety can add any value to it. No amount of anxiety can fix it. In fact, it might just be plainly counterproductive. That's the heart of this teaching. So we're going to consider three main ideas. I hope, I hope, very briefly, uh, gosh, if you can't be brief in the simplicity talk, we're hopeless here. So, um, very briefly, but first let's pray. Father, um, we love you. Let's keep it simple. Lord, uh, you declared the greatest commandment of all, the one that, that, uh, on which all the, the law and the prophets hang, is so simple. Love God with everything. And there's another one that's just like it. Love people as yourself. So Lord, we love you. Help us where we don't. Lord, we believe and trust. Help our unbelief. Give us, give us the right kind of pursuit of simplicity, Lord, that helps us just foreground the things of you, the things that are most central, the things that we must do as a young church community here in Portland, Oregon in 2023. And let us trust you with the rest. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from this, from this overall passage, I just, I just want to highlight three phrases, really. Um, Kim read for us that, you know, Jesus is raising all these different physical needs. What are, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are our basic needs going to be met? And Jesus continues to just look to creation. He looks to a blade of grass and says, look, at, look how beautiful this grass, these flowers are here amongst this grass. Look how beautiful, beautifully God clothes this field here. Don't you know how much more he cares about you? Don't you know if he cares this much for this, he will sustain you in the ways that you need. That's the heart here. And then flowing out of these, these three main illustrations he gives, he gives the principle here. And we'll look at verse 33, as I mentioned. In light of all this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we're going to be a church that prioritizes a value on simplicity, and it's, that simplicity is going to help us in our pursuit of the cross, which if you want to really boil it down is just a, just a way of saying love God. Or if, we're, if it's going to help us pursue our value of community, which is just a way of saying love one another. And if it's going to help us pursue our value of the city, which we'll talk about next week, which is just a way of saying love your neighbor. Simplicity is the philosophical underpinning of these, and it's only going to happen if we seek first, primarily, most focusedly on the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And it's just, I think the idea here is just a single-minded focus. There are a million different things we can give our attention to. And if we had more resources, we could begin to give our attention to some of those things. The load could be spread wider, have more money, resources on hand to pursue them. That could all be great. But regardless, the single-minded focus, a laser focus on the things that we must be about. And I've already spoiled it for us, but... Listen, Jesus puts these things in pretty clear terms. He says there is a great commandment. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says there is a great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. What does that look like? He says two things. 
baptize them. That means proclaim the gospel and see people come into the faith for the first time and then publicly identify in the waters of baptism that yes, I'm giving my allegiance to this Jesus. Yes, I know it has implications for every sphere of my life, but I'm following him wherever it leads. It's a public proclamation of that, that's baptism. So that's new people coming into the faith. And then he says, and one other little thing, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. So it's the initial conversion signified by baptism here, and then it's deep discipleship, it's deep spiritual formation, it's a lifetime of coming step by little step to submit all of ourselves to everything that Jesus demands of us. No small task, no small task. It's not easy, it's not easy, but it is simple. It is simple. Love God, love neighbor, make disciples. See people come into the faith, help them deepen into a vibrant relationship with him over time. That's what we must be about here, Door of Hope Northeast. There's nothing that we can allow to, there's plenty of things that that we do do that complement those things, that flow out of those things, but the center, the laser-focused center has to be those central things. I think a a secondary kind of idea that connects to this single-minded focus is just that we have to very self-consciously proclaim that this place is not a place to build a platform for anyone but Jesus. And I am racked with insecurity over being the only pastor here right now. And I, I pray to God, I, I li- that's not an expression, I pray to God every day <laughs> that I will not be the only pastor here for too much longer. Not just because it's a little bit lonely in some regards, but because just everything about being the only full-time pastor here like cuts against so many of my ministry values around shared leadership and empowering others and just the value of having a diversity of voices speaking from the pulpit and so on and so forth. I don't like it, friends. Just confess that to you right now. I love you, and I actually love being, a, being the pastor here, but I don't want to be the only one for numerous reasons. And I know I've process, vented some of you about this privately. Like, I know we're not guaranteed like a, a, a huge church staff here. Most churches that have ever existed have been one pastor or one priest, you know, oftentimes bivocational. So there's no presumption that, oh, we are owed that. It's just a desire. And I pray that God would, would meet that desire over time. But anyway, that's, anyway, I've, I've sidetracked. My point is, it's very, it's very easy for me to start to equate, like, my own personal platform with, like, the central thing here. And it can never be the case. It can never be the case. Um, to be honest with you, that's the reason I don't have an Instagram account. It's one of them. I had one. I had one for years. Uh, and I just found myself laboring over how I was presenting myself to the world. It's like, this isn't good for me. If, if you guys can have one without going through all that, good. seriously, that's great. Um, but for me, I was like, I'm, I'm not mature enough for this. And there's a reason, like, on our church's social media feeds, I try to basically never put myself up there because, like, in an environment where you've got one pastor, it's really easy to think that this, is, this person is who this is about. This church is not about me. This church is about Jesus. It can only ever be about Jesus. And if you see it drifting, call me out. Call me out. We must have a single-minded focus on the king and his kingdom. We seek him 
first, friends. So the question that this, this principle asks is that, is everything we are doing clearly pointing to and serving and honoring the lifting up of the name of Jesus? For Jesus says, the Son of Man is lifted up. He will draw all people to himself. If we're lifting up anything else, we should pack this thing up and go home. Join one of the other legitimately great churches that exist in this city. A single-minded focus. It's one thing Jesus is calling us to here. But the verse goes on. Second idea is found in the phrase, and all these things will be added to you. So I think it's really important to note, Jesus is saying, he's not saying, again, your physical needs don't matter. The things that people are anxious about, they don't matter. He says, seek me and I will take care of you, friends. I will take care of what you need. And that doesn't mean extravagance. That doesn't mean our wildest dreams will come true. It may not mean that I get a second pastor or third pastor on staff here. I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that. But it does mean the things that we genuinely need will be taken care of. Um, And don't forget, as we talked about last week in terms of community, often it is this body itself that is the means by which he takes care of people. That's the, that's the meaning of the image of the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, is that the people next to you, your brothers and sisters, the one and others that make up a local church community are meant to be the ones who supply those needs. If someone is hungry here, our hope is that that hunger will be met quickly, not by saying, not simply by saying, it's of course, good to pray for those things, but not by simply saying, you know, pray, be on your way, trust that God, it's by saying, I'm going to do something. If it costs me, I will care for you. I will meet that need. These things will be added to you as you pursue life together in the family of God. That's the heart. So, you know, if, if point one was seek first the kingdom, let's major on the majors and may nothing else become the majors. It's also to say, like, we also minor on the minors. There are subpoints and minor themes and things of lesser emphasis all across. The Bible's a big book. Just the New Testament is a big book that talks about a lot of things and makes a lot of demands. And we're not simply saying, just focus on the gospel and then don't care about what Jesus has to say about all sorts, all the other things that make up life. It's to say, no, we let the main things be the main things and we let the minor things be the minor things, which means there's still things that we are fighting and pursuing, fighting for and pursuing here. So, We major on the majors, but we're not afraid to minor on the minors in an effort to do what Jesus said. Do what Jesus said. Teach one another to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And we just trust that we, that all that we need will be given by our loving Father who, who, who clothes even the lilies of the field in magnificent splendor, greater than Solomon, according to Jesus. So seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Maybe a third point, is that he, he goes on from there to say, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Isn't that true? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I think just this idea to not be anxious to do everything that we could possibly do as a church. We... we Simplicity demands that we fight for contentment with slow, deep, sustainable growth. We're aiming to do everything that we must do and should do as a church 
And we'll get to the could-dos or might-dos or it would be nice-to-dos when we are able. The idea is that we're not trying to build a big machine that must be placated. There's no machine that has to be placated. And so from that, it's the idea that we're we're not trying to employ a whole bunch of church programs here that crowd out genuine life together. Because isn't that a tragedy? I mean, church program, we have church programs. Community groups is one of the most vital programs that we do. Sunday morning in its own way is a program here. It's not that programs are bad. But we've probably all been around church environments where there are so many programs, so many things to do, so many boxes to tick that once you've done them all, you've actually stepped back and find yourself with zero margin to actually commune commune with God or commune organically with the people around you. It's very, very easy to end up in that place. So it's not tons of programs that crowd out life together, but to pursue strategically deployed ones that can be these anchor points that then can spill out into organic relationship, both with God and with one another and with the city. Along with this is the idea that we're, we're self-consciously not trying to call for anyone, all of any one person's time here. Sometimes that's what, that's what happens. You know, it's kind of an adage that like 20% of a church's members do like 80% of its ministry. Um, and that's fine as far as it goes. But often, even within that 20%, there ends up being just a handful of super volunteers, super leaders that just carry everything on their backs. Just, they're serving at everything. They're doing it all. They have no rest, no break. And worst of all, the pastors often like the one saying, yeah, we need you. Like no one else stepping up. Yeah, get more, 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 more. It's easy to become exploitative of people like that. Genuinely servant-hearted people. It's just important to name it, like, God deserves all of our time. Everything belongs to God. Your church community deserves much of your time. If we're going to at all live like the family of God that the New Testament holds up for us, it, t- it takes time. But you know what? Church programs only deserve a sustainable amount of your time. Let's just name it. Some of your time, yeah. If we, if we as a community believe in something, we should give some of our time to it, but not an unsustainable amount, not an amount that's burning people out, not an amount that's driving people into the ground. Often we get those things confused. We think that facilitating a program is the same thing as giving God all of our time. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Don't get those things twisted. They're not the same. There's overlap, but they're not identical. So I find as a pastor here, solo pastor, small church, exactly what Jesus is talking about in the context of church is very difficult to resist. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Just give a wholehearted focus to the Lord today. Work hard, work diligently, be faithful, but just trust. He's good. Anything of value that's going to get birthed in this community is going to be on his initiative and through his work. Um, if we've created a machine that's just chewing people up and spitting them out, I don't think we're honoring God. I don't think we're glorifying him in that process. So again, the call is to fight for contentment with slow, deep, sustainable growth. And a lot of what that means practically, a lot of what you've experienced over Door of Hope over time has been this. A lot of the, the initiatives that we do just get birthed out of individual people's passion. Someone who's just like, I really care about this thing, 
and I will carry the torch for it, and I'm going to invite other people into it, and it's beautiful, and it's organic. And thank, thank you so many of you that are doing that and helping us be the church in healthier and better ways, in ways that are sustainable for you and for other people. Keep us from the illusion that everybody has to do everything all the time, because I just don't think that's, I don't think it's healthy. So that's kind of all I want to say. It's kind of all I want to say about simplicity. It's, uh, it may still feel a little nebulous. Those are some of the semi-concrete ways we pursue that. Single-minded focus on Jesus and just a trust that we don't have to labor and strive to do everything all the time. We trust he will sustain us and over time he will give us what we need. Amen? Well, I mentioned um, the last two weeks, uh, for each of these pillars, we, we actually want to give like some practical track to run on in terms of like spiritual disciplines that we can pursue. And it's not to give a laundry list of demands and things. We want to keep it intentionally very simple, but we hope that even beyond the four weeks of the series, this will become a common language that for people who commit themselves to this church, they go, yes, these are things that if I'm going to be a faithful part of this community, I should be involved in, I should be doing, I should be building into my life. Um, and we say it every time there's grace upon grace. When you fail, when you fall, if you just forget or you're just like, ah, I just can't do that right now, we will say grace upon grace. Uh, the grace of the Lord is sufficient for that too. But nonetheless, this is part of holding up something to call us to. And it's almost insultingly simple. Um, flowing out of the cross pillar, I'll just recap these. We said, for connection with God, intimacy with God through the cross, we're going to say the two most basic things any Christians have ever said before, which is you want intimate communion with God, make a daily practice of some type, if it's minutes or hours for, for you, you know, spiritual ninjas in the room. Um, two disciplines, daily time in the scriptures with the word of God and prayer, daily and we're going to give some very practical from very simple, very quick, up to very, you know, uh, up, to, up to deeper, longer opportunities. But we think everyone who follows Jesus should make a daily practice, grace upon grace, to be in the scriptures and to be in prayer. Out of community, we mentioned two things, two disciplines that we said were more weekly disciplines. We said, commit yourself to coming here to gather with the whole church body once a week for worship and then gather once a week in community group. And we know, like, I'm not gonna recap. If I get going too far, we'll, we'll end up an, an hour down the road here if I start talking about this again, but um, we know that that is such a baseline for community. It is. It's not to say that's the end all be all of community. If you do that, then you will have more friends, deeper friends than you've ever known what to do with. It's just to say two spaces where you're saying, yes, I will weekly show up even when it's dry, even when I don't want to, even when it's difficult, to, to just, again, gather some kindling to see what the Lord can ignite with that. I, you know, community groups even, like I value that ministry so much. We're hosting one this year. We're excited about it. We, you know, it's provided so much value to my life. But what flows out of that in terms of intimate connection oftentimes is totally unpredictable. Like, will you make really deep connections? Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. That's okay, but it's just the obedience of showing up again and again. And even saying like, where else do you show up for a couple of hours every week for a year to talk about Jesus, to try to be vulnerable, to try to bring your questions, to try to bring your needs, to pray, 
Like, what is your plan for forming deep community? Like, what do you got that's better than that as a starting block? Again, think of it as a starting block, not the, not the end. So two weekly practices for community. And now we get to two monthly practices for simplicity. And these might seem counterintuitive, but I trust that you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm getting at here. The two that I want to call us into um, in terms of monthly practices to help us move forward with simplicity are serving and giving. Serving and giving. And that the simplicity comes into those in two ways. One, it's just a way of, you know, we often find that we have to declutter ourselves to do those things. When Suzanne and I were first married and we made a commitment to start giving monthly to our local church, uh, you, you have to sit down with your budget and you're like, how much do I want to give? How much do we think we're called to give? And what is this going to cost in terms of opportunity for where our money might go otherwise? Same thing with serving. If you make a, a, week, a monthly commitment to serve somewhere, it often requires going like, what's something else that I'm doing that I'm going to have to not do in order to prioritize this thing? Um, but it also, maybe the more impactful thing in terms of simplicity with both of those is the way it serves your brothers and sisters here. And by that, what I mean is serving, like most of our ministry you know, teams, opportunities to serve around the church are designed to be once a month for the reasons I've already described. We don't want people having to serve here every week, week in and week out. We just don't think it's healthy for you. But the only way that it can happen in the place where we feel the crunch most often is in the kids' ministry, which is why a few times we've made like really impassioned, like, hey, <laughs> we're serious, like we need people down there, is because like we have good people, good people that are like, oh my gosh, I see these needs, fine, I will serve three times a month. And that's amazing. That's why my children can be in the classroom right now below us. But we don't want that actually. We want a light load for lots of people where lots of people go, I just commit once a month and I know that the people around me are committing once a month and if we all do that and we honor that commitment, this becomes a light burden for all of us, doesn't it? It's the same thing with the worship team. It's the same thing with the tech team. It's the same thing for city opportunities where we serve outside the city. Just a, a, a small commitment actually makes it sustainable for the people sitting next to you to make a small, simple commitment. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing with financially giving to the church. It often is the case, again, that a very small minority are the people who are giving the vast bulk of, of what allows the church to function. You know, we're not like, I think for, for good, it's, it's for the health of churches in the U.S., but there's no state church system. We don't get a portion of the taxes, <laughs> you know. I think that caused all kinds of problems, it seems to. Uh, so praise God for that. But like, Everything about this church's operation, from the maintenance of the building, paying rent, utilities, uh, the team's salaries, to the ministry initiatives, to things like the benevolence fund and money that goes out to our uh, outreach partners, it all is just from us. It's just this community right here. It's just people saying, like, I believe in this. I think the New Testament says I should be involved in some way in supporting the, my local church, and so we do it. Um, so, so there's like, there's no one else, you know what I'm saying, to do this. And in the spirit of simplicity, if we all just commit to say, I'm, I'm going to partner in some small way, man, the Lord tends to do a lot with that. And it, once again, it really spreads the load. It really makes it so that if everyone is just contributing a little bit, um, the burden doesn't fall uh, on any one person to do that. I mean, 
I don't know how I would make the burden fall on any one person anyway. It's <laughs> just so like, hey, you, <laughs> your money. I don't really think that's ever going to go that way. But, um, but it's the same principle. And it's the same idea like, you know, th- these things are icky to talk about, especially when you're, when you're someone who's employed by the church. But I think the New Testament commands it, so we should talk about it. Think of the principle like the story Jesus tells about the widow's might, you know. These little stories, we have numerous stories in the New Testament, Jesus emphasizing, like, it's not about amount. Like, people who give, who commit, I'm going to commit myself to give one penny to this thing at sacrifice to themselves. Jesus says that's far more valuable than anyone else, than what anyone else might do. Anyone giving tons of money out of just a surplus. And so this isn't about, you know, frankly, our, our budget's been doing pretty well this year. Praise God. Thank you, Door of Hope Northeast. This isn't like a, a, a plea out of desperation. It's just to say, I, I think this is something that we should name as like a key to health for us as Christians and for this church if we are going to continue to grow in sustainable ways, that we just all have a little bit of, of skin in the game and that it actually is a, a, a deeply spiritual thing, it seems to be, in the mind of Jesus and Paul, uh, thus in the mind of the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, yeah, if that's not something you've been a part of, could you, could you just say, I'm going to commit to do this. Maybe it's a dollar a month, but that's where I start. Like, who knows what God could do with that? I, and I, I genuinely mean that. Um, so that's it. Almost every one of these is almost insultingly simple, but, but my refrain is, like, w- w- what's your plan? Like, these are, these are biblical... Uh, time-honored ways of, of, of pursuing him and of actually scaffolding this, this church community that we belong to. If you do belong, if you're a visitor, we um, certainly doesn't apply to you. Um, daily practice, scripture and prayer, weekly practice, gathering for worship and community group, and if not community group, some other weekly environment. We're saying once a week, I'm going to commit to be with the people of God of my local church for the pursuit of spiritual growth with one another. And then monthly, finding a place to serve, finding a time to give. Think of these as ways of committing to do a little bit sustainably so that no one person or small group of people is asked to carry out everything that makes this local church function. These are space-making disciplines for your brothers and sisters next to you and actually for you, yourself, in your own life. Um, There you go. Simplicity. Sometimes hard to talk about, but I think it's something that has served Door of Hope well when it's been at its healthiest, and I pray that it will continue to as we fight to continue to pursue depth together over this year. Amen? Let's pray.